This morning, we're going to be uh, teaching through an imprecatory psalm. Uh, we have covered all types of genres of psalms, uh, but I'll confess this morning is the toughest one. Uh, proof of that is uh, our ministry associate who uh, was uh, in rotation of preaching at a nursing home. And before preaching, he would often read a psalm. And he had mentioned to me that when he came that one morning, this was several years ago, uh, he did not know what psalm he was going to pick. So he just opened up this Bible and picked out a psalm. And it happened to be a psalm as he was reading at that nursing home uh, where when he came to verse 9 of Psalm 137, he read, Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Okay? And so you can imagine our ministry associate at a nursing home reading that, pausing, and then telling me it took five, ten minutes for him to even get into the sermon because he had to explain that passage to these poor old folks. Okay? And I say that because, as mentioned, that being an imprecatory psalm, these are tough, tough passages of Scripture. They are. I mean, what do we do with that? Imprecatory means cursing. And when I say that, I know most of you guys are like, oh, the, the type of cursing that you get your mouth washed out with soap with, like Ralphie from Christmas Story. No, not, not that type of cursing, which I don't even think that happens. I think that's like child abuse these days now. But it's not that type of cursing. It is instead asking God to punish, harm, curse, and even kill one's enemy. It is in prayer, again, asking God to punish, harm, curse, or even kill one's enemy. This is in view and in the mindset of knowing that this enemy is often, most cases that I've studied, an enemy against God, and these enemies are doing great injustices toward both the one praying and others. But that doesn't take away from the truth that that is the prayers here. That's what an imprecatory psalm is. Asking God to intercede for justice on this enemy. But it's hard. I mean, if you just think about it for today. This is like you or I right before our devotions, right before our time in God's word, and we're going through our prayer list. And then in our time of intercession, we go to the Lord and we on our knees or maybe sitting down, but our quiet time, our quiet place, we go to the Lord in prayer and praying something like this. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up so-and-so from work or at school right now, who, as you know God, because you know everything is causing me all types of problems, making fun of me, is, is doing some unethical things that's getting me in trouble. And I just want to lift him or her up that they may die. That you would just take them away. And while you're at it, lovingly, heavenly father, may their children become wandering beggars. May no one take pity on them. Please do that for your humble, loving servant. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that's just awkward. I mean, not only the wishing and praying of death upon someone, but like the consequences of the sort which is found in many imprecatory psalms. That's just hard. 
the specific language used with many of them, how it seems to go against Jesus' commands of praying for and loving our enemies. I mean, one is honestly tempted to separate these prayers and these psalms from the New Testament and what we know about Jesus. I will be honest as I confess this to Jacob as we talked about like this psalm and preaching, kind of preparing for preaching for it. I am tempted to do that. As much as I've spoken up and against those who have wanted to unhitch per se, the Old Testament from the New Testament. I confess to you all, I've wanted to do that with these prayers that are included in what I do believe is the canon. What I do believe is truly God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative word that reveals his son Jesus as the good news of the gospel that we need. But these prayers just don't seem like Jesus. And so it's tempting to say that, oh, that is the Old Testament wrathful God, not the kind, merciful, compassionate, loving Jesus. And people do want to stay away from these prayers. I mean, I'm not going to ask you for a showing of hands, but they're in the Psalms often. The Psalms are some of the most read scriptures. Some would say the most read scriptures outside of the Gospels in the Bible. Let's be honest, have you heard a sermon on it? Probably not. I mean, like I said, they've been tough for me. They've been tough for others. Even a faith hero of mine, C.S. Lewis, he tried to compare in his book in the Psalms, he tried to compare these specific Psalms to Job's friends' counsel and advice. And I love C.S. Lewis. There's going to be many things I'm still pointing others to him and apologetics and other things. But I very much disagree with that. You cannot take these psalms and compare it to wrong counsel that was given in the book of Job that we do not preach and teach in the way of advice or knowledge of God, but we say that they were wrong in its context. Even if they were truth, they weren't truths for Job at that time. And where this, in its context, is true, should be treated as God's word. After all, we actually do see how often they are used and even prayed in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter uses imprecatory, imprecatory psalms to explain and apply the, the betrayer Judas's demise in Acts 1.20. When sharing about Judas, he quotes and says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Again, using a known imprecatory psalm to describe not only what they are to do in light of Judas's loss, but who Judas is. Peter actually uses the two most popular imprecatory psalms here. Psalm 69 and 109. I almost preached through one of them, but they were over 30 verses, and I wanted a little more time in this message to explain the purpose and importance of these psalms alongside the exegesis. Besides Peter's reference, there are New Testament scriptures, specific passages, where both Paul and Jesus 
prayed these exact types of prayers against their enemies. Quoted by John, other apostles of Jesus. I'm not going to read them all, but feel free to write them down or take a picture to read and study them yourselves. Some of you may remember when we went through the book of 2 Thessalonians, it was similar language from the Apostle Paul when talking about the enemies of God and justice. And know this, the same Jesus that did command us to love our enemies, he did use imprecatory language several times from the cursing and warnings to religious leaders to calling out his very own disciples. In fact, Harry Manega from the Westminster Theological Seminary in a book he wrote entitled The Ethical Problem of the Imprecatory Psalms says this, the New Testament appears not in the least embarrassed with the Old Testament imprecations, but on the contrary, it quotes freely from them as authoritative statements with which to support an argument. The New Testament not only quotes passages which, through themselves, not imprecations, are found in a psalm with an imprecatory section, but also, and this is more remarkable, it quotes with approval the imprecations themselves. See, they do have a place in God's word, and they have a place in our lives amongst the larger picture of the Bible, what it reveals, what it fulfills in the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to study one specific imprecatory psalm, and as we study it, I'll point out some of the reasons why it is important to us and how we can apply these tough psalms. Again, Psalm 58, starting off with verse 1. And we see in the first couple verses reasons for calling on God's wrath. Starting off with verse 1, God's word says this. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? Know in your hearts you devise wrongs, your hands deal out violence on earth. Now this is King David once again. Many believe this is one of the last psalms that he had written. And in this psalm, he's questioning and calling out tyrants and unjust authorities above them. Leaders around them. Some of your translations may say mighty rulers instead of gods. Again, when he says gods, He's saying this mockingly so because they're acting like God's taking the place of God as they sinfully think and act like their God while they misuse their power, misuse their authority, misuse judgment. And as you see here from these first two verses, there is a lack of integrity and righteousness when they do judge. That in their heart of hearts, it says they're intentionally planning wrongs. That's why it says in verse 2, in your hearts you devise these wrongs. They're intentionally planning that out. They're using, again, their power, their authority to cause violence on earth, as it says at the end of verse 2. And churches, we should know and believe all of those things that are pointed out in those first two verses. They are reasons for why we should be upset about sin and what it's doing to the world, and to others. As he is standing up for what's right 
and what's holy. Verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. This here, again, is a prayer. It's a confession admitted to God. They're of charges of being evil. And that from the moment that they were born, they started lying. They started acting out in those wicked ways. Verse 4 says this. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. Like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. It says their ears are plugged. They're not listening to the righteous pleas or the cries of help around them. Instead, they are like cobras. That's what the adder is. Listening to the sound. Uh, instead, they're like cobras, not listening to the sound and voice of the charmer. Instead, they are striking, they are biting, they are poisoning, they are killing people. And what David is praying, what he is saying here, he's calling sin, sin. He's saying and making a difference between holiness and evil. And the evil was bad. And he's recognizing it and verbalizing it to God. And that's one of the first things we need to understand about the precatory psalms. The one we're reading, but then the other tough ones that we find in the book of Psalms. That imprecatory psalms, they help us understand. They help us understand and even agree with God on the consequences of sin and needed justice. That in the first five verses you see here, he is calling out reasons for God's wrath. And as he is recognizing and verbalizing it to God, he understands and he agrees with God on the consequences of such sin and the need for justice with it. And church, I'm going to uh, admit, we maybe don't do this enough. Or if we do do it, we do it at the wrong places, at the wrong times, and sometimes with the wrong motives. I do believe that for the most part, we do have a hard time doing this, all of us, including myself. If you think about this, again, imprecations, these curses are expressions, and they're provoked by the horror of sin. David prayed this way because of his deep sensitivity to the ugliness of sin. And perhaps the chief reason why he wasn't bothered by prayers of imprecation, and we are, is that he was so bothered by sin and that we aren't at times. And if that's true, it is quite frightening to think that we can stand in the presence of evil and not be moved to either feel or pray as David did. Because in this world, there are certain things we should be able to, in our heart of hearts, understand and agree with God. This is sin. There needs justice for it. There are consequences because of it. I mean, everything from 
some of the things that you see in the, again, the precatory psalms, but that is still around us today. When it comes to religion, churches, to not agree with God on how dangerous it is that certain spiritual religious movements or leaders can make a mockery of God or act so hypocritically that it completely goes against God's word, ruins witness with others. We should agree with God on such things. Want justice. When it comes to things politically, as he is calling out, again, at that time, authority, government leaders, certain wrongs, we're for us. Even in the midst of a lot of gray, there are certain wrongs, certain evils, where there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There could be complicated issues, like I said, some gray, but I have to confess, there is also crystal clear sin from God's word that we should say and believe in our hearts and talk to the Lord with. There needs justice. I agree, I understand with you on this. There should be things, listen church, personally, within our very own lives and hearts that we recognize as sin and hate it within us. And there should be a good practice for this. To talk into the Lord to confess and repent. Again, I believe we have a hard time doing this. I believe that the chief reason, one of the main reasons why David wasn't bothered by these prayers as we are is because sometimes we're not bothered by sin enough. And so they help us understand and agree with God on the consequences of sin and needed justice as David calls out in certain reasons why God's wrath is needed. And then in verse 6 comes the curses. And again, this is the hard part. I'm not going to spend a ton of time going through each verse by verse a little bit. But as he shared the sin, some of the consequences, how it needs justice, here in verses 6 through 9 are the called curses on enemies of God and his people. He says this, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Again, it's a very tough language that we find here in God's Word. He says in verse 6, break the teeth in their mouths. I especially related to this because on my birthday this past February, as I was enjoying a little ice cream date with my wife, through a sprinkle, I broke my tooth. Okay? Which I now look back and say, who was praying in a precatory psalm against me this past February? But I remember having to go through this whole ordeal because of that. And he says, will you do that to these enemies of mine that are chasing me, that are, again, 
using their power and authority and all such injustices. And he even compares these enemies and people to young lions with their fangs. Break their teeth because they're like lions attacking, devouring others. Break their teeth. He says in verse 7, let them disappear like water that runs off. Will you prevent their weapons from even being used? Will you misdirect their arrows? Can break the teeth that they are using as fangs and biting and attacking others. He says in verse 8, make them disappear like a snail dissolves into slime. Like when salt is poured on a snail and it rapidly sucks the water out of their bodies by osmosis as it causes them to bubble, as it causes them to shrivel and die of dehydration. He says, make them disappear like a snail would in that process. And then, again, like many other hard or precatory psalms, like the one that Jacob, our ministry associate, accidentally read to a nursing home, I have a very hard time with the next one. It says, like the, like the infant or baby who dies in a womb, unable to live from birth. Again, in confession, I don't have a good answer to why David uses this as one of his illustrations in prayer to the Lord of how he's asking his enemies to be gone. I know David is poetic. He can be hyperbolic to make the point sharp and succinct, and he does this often. But another illustration of how he just wants this enemy to be gone and asking God to do it. Lastly, in verse 9, and this is a bit confusing with many commentaries, just skipping or admitting they don't exactly know what this means. Uh, I, I believe best interpretation for verse 9 is the thorns here. As it says, sooner than your pots may feel the heats of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he swept away. I believe those thorns is kindle, which is used before the process of lighting the fire for the pots to slowly burn. And he says, before that process is, that kind of starts to slowly happen, will you just sweep them away in a whirlwind? That's what he means with that last, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Will you sweep them away before the time that it takes the kindle to be used to light the fire for the pots to slowly burn? I know you're going to have justice for this, but as it takes time, at least in what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing in the evil in the world, and with my and these enemies, we sweep them away in a whirlwind. All in all, again, verses 6 through 9, David here is praying for harm, pain, the extermination of his enemy. Not only them, but their sin, their injustices, the destructions and the oppression they are causing as described in verses 1 through 5. And again, when reading this tough psalm, there's purpose. And one of these purposes is this. And precatory psalms, as we read here, they help us be real about how we feel, who God is, and what needs to be done. I want to remind you that why this is so hard is because we see so often, not only in scriptures, but done in church history, where we are told to sing and pray the psalms. And so you get to these psalms, you're like, how can I sing and pray this, right? What's the purpose of this? In fact, next week, we're going to give you some resources 
as we go through a praise psalm, okay? Praise psalm. <laughs> and we're going to give you some resources on how to start praying the psalms. Some encouragement on reading the psalms. I'm even going to encourage you to do it within your community groups sometimes. And as you get to these, what is the purpose? How can we do this? Well, you can if you know they help us be real about how we feel, who God is, and what needs to be done. They give us, actually, even in the hard language, the freedom to come to God in an unedited fashion where God wants you to come to Him and pray about this sin and justice that needs to be done for it. In fact, the author of Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt, when preaching on this topic in the imprecatory psalms, he said this, sometimes, sometimes it is better to pray badly than to not pray at all. And that not all prayers and praying is not praying theologically correct, but instead it is going to God it's going to him with the good news of the gospel in mind that you come to him just as you are and you do admit, confess how your heart feels about these things, about these people, about what is going on. And in it, you recognize not only how you feel, but you see how much of it can maybe align with God's heart his hatred for sin, or other motives that you give to Him and you trust in Him in those times. That sometimes in those prayers, we need them for healing and what's revealing inside of us. That they are cathartic in those ways. I'm being real about this. Instead of putting the mask on like I always do. Everything's fine. Everything's great. This situation's under control. I can take this. I can handle this. I can handle this persecution. I can handle that mockery. I can handle this oppression and deep, deep evil and sin being done against me, against my children, against the people I love. And instead of faking it, it's going to God and saying, will you take care? And again, it's cathartic in those ways. When that starts to happen, and you even can have that moment in time, you say, wow, God, I actually feel this way. That there's something here. That's why we should learn how to pray these prayers to discover that and be truthful with that. And again, one of the most important things, go to God with that. Not social media. Not your echo chamber. Oh yeah, we all hate this. This politician, this party. But to God with it. Not the lost world. This is why we need the Lord. When some of those things, yeah, it's right and righteous. And therefore, we go to the Lord with it. We can go to our community 
our discipleship relationships, our community groups with it being honest and real. I don't even know if I'm right in this, but this is how I feel. Can you hear me out? Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me to hear and be there for each other as well with this? And in and, and saying all this, I do, again, confess, admit, I already talked to the Lord about this. Actually, in recognition and studying this, I realize I actually have to be less judgmental when this comes out of others. Even if I do feel and believe it is in the wrong ways. And I still don't agree, believe that the right way is going through certain outlets and social media. But being real and desiring this, again, is not always bad if it is, if it is biblical sin and, and evil called out from what the scriptures reveal and say. And that's not always bad, and I need to recognize that even myself. But remember, these are words and prayers where action was never taken as David prayed this he recognized only you Lord can take action with so much of this remember it's David and when he prayed them he was one of the most forgiving in fact most of the imprecatory psalms that he wrote was when he was being chased by his enemies and he would not touch them Again, giving them to the Lord, trusting the Lord to take care of them. That these prayers, they're not expressions of personal vengeance. That most these curses and these imprecations written by perhaps the least vengeful man in the Old Testament as you consider his dealings with Saul, with Absalom, with Nabal. Where David never asked if he's allowed to get even himself or pay back his enemies. But his prayer is that God would act justly in dealing with the transgressors. And we need to know this and recognize this because there is a vast difference between vindication and vindictiveness. That David's passion... These prayers come out of a triumph of divine justice, not the satisfaction of personal vengeance and malice. And therefore we remember, God, I must give them to you. That I cannot, I will not act out on them. And that these are grounded in the character of God. God, I know this is you being just. You know, as, as amazing as this may seem, these tough words here and in other psalms, it still doesn't even match what I believe what we can know to a certain extent of what God's wrath is like. Just in the same way that we cannot accurately describe and understand the beauties of Jesus Christ, his mercy and compassion. I mean, when you are lost in the gospel, and you feel and recognize, whether in the moment of salvation or other hard times, and you're like, I can't even comprehend how beautiful Christ is, his feelings, his love, his compassion for me. In that same way, 
I don't think we comprehend and understand just truly how much God hates sin and what he had to do to offer his son to take care of it for us. So even in praying these hard prayers, I think the same is true for his wrath. That as we recognize this, when facing some of the largest injustices of this earth, and for some of you in your life, we recognize God does care about these things. Like we see often asked in the Lament Psalms, have you ever gone through or been through or maybe even right now going through some type of great, great hurt, oppression, wrong? And in your heart of hearts, maybe you've never even verbalized it to the Lord, but in your heart of hearts, you are asking, does God care? Does he care what I'm going through? Does he care about these broken relationships? Does he care about this past abuse that never got any type of justice for? Does he care about this current persecution and these injustices that go on? Church, you can find a certain degree of comfort and truth and knowing he does care and that these psalms are proof of it. They are. They show this. Recorded in God's word, a righteous response to sin. He cares and he will make things right. When it's out of our control, he will make things right. That we're not just praying to the hedonistic gods of mythology portrayed in the latest Thor movie where they don't care. He cares. He truly, truly cares that his hatred and just punishment for sin shows that he cares, that he hates as much as he loves, and that you can be honest about your feelings with that, like David was. And if we're honest, we know that when we read these and we pray this way. Eugene Peterson, who I told Jacob, I found it funny that when studying for this, I seem to align more with Eugene Peterson than, out of all people than C.S. Lewis with this. But when writing about the imprecatory psalms, he said this, if these prayers are not prayed, talking about again the imprecatory psalms, we will have lost an essential insight and energy in doing battle with evil. The prayers and insights in imprecatory psalms have identified an enemy, and they respond in outrage. They hate what they see. And on behalf of the disposed, the mocked, and the dehumanized of the earth, they pour into the ears of God their sightings of the enemy, not as this is, a, this is another professing Christian that um, had some uh, views of Scripture that, again, you could separate these things, that you, this isn't truly God's word. And so he says, not as Brueggemann says, siphoning off hate, but instead 
channeling it in effective ways in covenantal shapes. And what he means by covenantal shapes when he says that is bringing it to a God we're in covenant with. That we are bringing it to and will be faithful with it regardless of how it plays out. That because we're in covenant with him, he wants to hear those things. And that he will be faithful with it regardless of how it plays out. We just have to make sure we're going to God with these feelings, God first and foremost, and knowing that gospel community helps as well. Last of all, in the last two verses, we see reactions of righteousness in God's just judgment. Verse 10 the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Here we see a rightful celebration of God judging sin. Where the faithful remember who their God is. The creator who loves to see his creation going to him that they desire justice and what he is just where the righteous will suffer here and now but they can know that one day God will vindicate his justice in the world as we had entire sermons about in 2 Thessalonians this past spring again it's no different from what we do know and see in the New Testament with the New Covenant and that part of the reward for the righteous is the enjoyment of God and of a renewed community and world that God promises they will receive and we will receive without such sin. And part of that judgment is not just the punishment that sin deserves, but as we know when reading this in its context with the finished and fulfilled scriptures and Jesus, that Jesus took that punishment as well to save from this type of horrendous sin. To redeem. Yes, these psalms give us permission to be honest about God and sin. And they are tough because they are being written and being sung out of deep, deep pain. And there's not lying. There's no lying about it. That's what I appreciate about it. Their hatred is a reaction to something that's evil, something that God hates. Therefore, we have permission again to be honest about God and sin and to pray such way as well. But we pray with both what Jesus says about a countercultural love for enemies in mind. And we do also pray with Romans 12 in mind. You see it on the screens to the left and right of me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
It is a right, again, going to God, feeling this way. But it is also, as David did, trusting. Vengeance is ultimately the Lord's. It is off my plate now. I can take it to you. I can tell you. And you're not taking it to God. Because you can continue to take it to Him instead of those other outlets that's going to sinfully feed it. You're not taking it to Him in vindication. But we realize it's not by any means I'm knowing, it's not by any means mean that I'm instructed to live this way. But it gives us grace to feel this and wish this. And it's received and aligned with the total truths and worldview that this is right and justice. And that God, you will take care of it. Can we have these prayers with the gospel of Jesus in mind? That as these psalms are part of his word to remind and show us how we truly feel, that we don't have to be fake and feel this way toward our enemies, but in the end, we know we are to pray and love our enemies while somehow acknowledging we want justice for the sin involved. And even if when internally wishing death and judgment on them, communicating that to God, being real, not putting on the mask like so often we do. Because after such feelings and desires, we still recognize how God treated us in this way as we were once hostile enemies to him and that he forgave us and changed us through the gospel of Jesus and can do the same with those who hate and persecute us. Last quote, Tim Keller, when teaching on these says, basically we need to realize that the calls for justice found in these Psalms are absolutely right. They remind us how important God's holiness and justice are. But we also need to realize that the psalmist did not have the justice of God completely satisfied in Christ as we do. Thus, we now pray for our enemies. Instead of wishing them ill, still we as Christians can pray the imprecatory psalms as longings for social justice and hatred against the principalities and powers behind the world's evil. That when you pray this, remember... God says, I made a way for you to come to me in order to pray this. To feel this way about sin and evil in the first place. Because you would have, you could have, you were a part of such evil. But now, for you to see them for what it is, you need to bring them to me. And you need to know as you submit them to the Lord. How you feel such injustice and such darkness and sin. You know that God is God and just. And however he deals with it. You can know how you feel about it. And how he takes care of it. By taking care of it through either righteously avenging it. Or through his son. Who took that punishment and wrath upon himself. And gives grace an opportunity for change in such enemies and people to be forgiven, freed, and again, reverse course and changed. 
that now those who partook in such horrible sins that needs justice can be forgiven, freed, and used by the Lord out of his love and mercy. And that we praise God for both being just and merciful in such ways. And that he was with us, who again, the scriptures say, were enemies of the Lord before we recognized our sin. Realized not only how God feels about it, as it took his son to die on the cross, to take the penalty of our sin, but that we deserved it. And that when recognizing out of God's great love for us, Jesus died on the cross for that sin, rose from the grave, defeating it out of his great grace, offering as a gift to us, that when we repent, return from that sin, give our lives, our hearts to Christ and saving faith by what he did in the cross and resurrection and who he is as our Messiah, Savior, we receive him and we are changed. And that that same good news is extended to our enemies as well. Yes, we pray for justice. And in mind, that's been taken care of on the cross as well. Church, you bow your heads, close your eyes. In a moment here, we are going to stand, we're going to sing. But before doing so, I want to give you a little bit of time to respond to the Lord. And in some of those responses right now, it could be praying those imprecatory prayers. God, I don't have to be fake. I want to come to you with such sin and evil that's maybe being done against you. Saying, I need to trust you with it. That there does need to be justice involved. And with the heart, with the recognition, but the truth that it can be taken care of by Jesus. That for some, he wants to free and forgive them. For some of you, it may be going to the Lord by response of the own prayer in your own hearts. A recognition that you need to go to the Lord because of the evil within yourself. That you can confess, repent, have saving faith, have a reconciliation with the Lord. Again, will you spend some time with the Lord, whatever he's moving you to respond, trusting him with all things that we hear from his word and mind. And then will you sing of his great grace in Jesus, that it is greater than our sin and that we're mindful it in such prayers. Spend some time with him. We'll sing.
be real with you about what's going on in our lives, about the sin around us, about what we know, perceive, see as enemies of you and us. And again, God, be real about it. I pray, Lord, as we had time to do that, start getting the habit of that, or start doing it in the right ways, going to you in a community. God, that you will answer such prayers. I pray that through your son, that there will be change of direction, hearts, lives, a testimony, a witness of you in your great mercy and love and forgiveness and the truth that no matter what we've done to you and others, you can change our hearts and lives. And so I do pray for that, Lord. But I also know and pray, Lord, that justice be done. God, we, we know as, a, as, your, as your body, as your sons and daughters, that there are great, great sins done against people that needs justice. Some of the worst of worst that needs to be called out. I pray that in your son, or again, through your wrath, you take care of those things. That we will grow to become more like you as we spend time with you and be witnesses of you. We do thank you for your grace that we, who were once enemies of you, are now beloved, adopted sons and daughters in a family, an eternal family. That marvelous grace that we sing to you right now. We pray this in your name, Jesus.